This is Unfilter, episode 284 for June 27th, 2018. I say it's very strongly the Democrats' fault. They're obstructing, they're really obstructionist, and they are obstructing. The United States will not be a migrant camp, and it will not be a refugee-holding facility. Won't be. You look at what's happening in Europe, you look at what's happening in other places, we can't allow that to happen to the United States. Not on my watch. Live from the JB1 studios back in the beautiful Pacific Northwest. This is Unfilter episode 284, and it's just off the cuff like our president, Mr. Chase, is out. He's out hiking in the beautiful mountains of North Korea. In fact, he'll be out this week, and I suspect next week, unless the whole custom stuff goes a little bit smoother on his way back in. But he should be having a good time with Kim. We're back after some time away, some time on the road, and there's so much to cover. As you heard there in the intro clip, there's there's been something something going on with uh, immigration in the last couple of weeks. I, I, I don't know. Maybe we'll get to that. But of course, I'm going to try to get you up to date on all of the things that I really have been wanting to talk about for the last couple of weeks that I couldn't share with you guys. I have been traveling back from Tejas. I was down in Dallas the last time we did a show. I drove up with the family, flew the kids out, and had them with us on the drive home. Now, that was a good family bonding experience, but not the best situation for recording the Unfiltered show. So I had to let the family have their time and their space. We took last week off. We also want to give time for the Patreon to kind of catch up and see if maybe we could grab a few new patrons. We'll get to that in the overtime. But now we're back. We're back and there's much to get into. So let's start with the stuff that just sort of like had my jaw drop while we were gone. And actually, one of the biggest news items broke Today, just about three hours ago. This is breaking. We have learned a summit will, in fact, take place between President Trump and Russian President Vladimir Putin. In the last hour, National Security Advisor John Bolton confirmed the upcoming meeting between the two nations' leaders and said both parties will make an official announcement on all of the details tomorrow. This is something. This is something that has some of the most... Um, exciting potential since we have been doing this show. And once you have a summit with Kim Jong-un, you can have a summit with anybody. You could have the summit with the leader of Iran. You could have a summit with Putin. Once you've had a summit with the great evil dictator of North Korea, then having a summit with anybody else is obvious. didn't want to step on that announcement, but he confirmed the summit. Uh, (laughs) Chief White House correspondent John Roberts is live for us outside the White House. John, Bolton making news from Moscow. Yeah, that is not a good thing for John Bolton. Let's keep that in our minds. Down the road, I wouldn't be surprised if there's a bit of a conflict between Donald Trump, the chief promoter, and John Bolton. Yeah, and it's never good to get ahead of the president. Uh, Trust me, you could talk to a lot of people who used to be here at this White House that did that. But we do know that President Trump and President Vladimir Putin are going to be meeting for the very first time since they met on the sidelines of the APEC summit in Da Nang. That was way back in November, and they only talked for a short period of time. We do not yet know the where and the when of all of this. 
but a good bet is the week of July the 9th. That's when the president is headed to the NATO conference in Belgium. He's also going to the U.K. to visit Theresa May. And there's a couple of days in there that the president could easily swing somewhere to uh, meet with Vladimir Putin. A couple of locations that have been floated, uh, Helsinki, Finland, or Vienna, Austria. If it is Vienna, that would be historically significant because it was back in June of 1961 that JFK met with Nikita Khrushchev during the height of the Cold War. The National Security Advisor John Bolton put together the deal for a summit and talks earlier today with Vladimir Putin and the Russian foreign minister who you see just over his left shoulder. Yeah, I'm surprised about John Bolton, too. Uh, I, I, I am still processing this because it literally happened just before the show. Uh, here's a bit of Bolton, and maybe we just will watch this and decide together. Uh, President Trump asked me to come and speak to uh, Russian authorities uh, about the possibility of a meeting between him and President Putin. Uh, and uh, there will be an announcement uh, on that tomorrow. Both President Trump and President Putin feel that it's important for these two leaders of these two critically important countries to get together and discuss their uh, mutual problems and, uh, and areas of cooperation. Uh, it's something that uh, I think both feel will contribute to improvements in the U.S.-Russia bilateral relationship and in uh, uh, stability around the world. I don't think it's anything uh, unusual for President Trump and President Putin to meet. Many, many leaders of uh, Europe have met with President Putin. We did indeed talk about uh, Russian interference in the elections, and I expect it will be a subject of conversation between the two presidents as well. well I that would be the most interesting thing. Imagine a world in which Russia accepts some level of blame for the election interference. Could you imagine if Trump could walk away with that? And I could see Putin giving that um, in exchange for something else like the U.S. to, con to discontinue fucking around in Syria. Russia has a very measured approach to international relations, and I... I say that not as a fan of Putin or as some Russia apologist. I say that as somebody who's studied history for quite a while now. When you look back, um, there have been pivotal, like nearly pushing the button to launch a missile moments where Russia's cool head prevailed and they prevented the destruction of the world. There are moments in World War II where, where Russia made sacrifices that simply made the success of the West possible. So when you look back in history, Russia has a pretty good track record of taking one on the cheek to make everything smooth. I would not be surprised if coming out of this is some sort of admission, maybe Putin even jails some uh, underlings over this. This could be a massive, massive meeting. And Trump wanted to get out and get his word on the record because Bolton was owning the scene. Mr. President, will you meet with President Putin, sir? And where? Uh, most likely. John and Bolton is over there now. Uh, he's over in Russia right now. Uh, I just saw watching media that uh, he's, uh, he's met with President Putin. I haven't gotten the full report yet, but uh, it would look like we will probably be meeting sometime in the not-too-distant future. That is Trump for... You shouldn't have gone on the media and announced anything before I even got the details. Now, I know it seems like I'm reading a lot into that, and I am, but I've watched Donald Trump. He is very aware of what he's saying on camera. He's messaging to John Bolton that I had to find out about all of this 
through the cameras. Not find out that he was going over there, but just find out that everything had been successful and when it was going to happen. That's what Trump is messaging to John Bolton. Donald Trump will say things on camera and on microphone to a particular individual. And sometimes you're watching, you go, what the fuck did that guy just say? Why did he say that? He's actually addressing a particular individual in the audience. That's what just happened right now. And it's smooth, and he does it all the time. Yeah, that uh, he's, uh, he's met with President Putin. I haven't gotten the full report yet, but uh, it would look like we will probably be meeting sometime in the not-too-distant future. I haven't gotten the full report yet. In, in other words, I just heard about this on the TV. That uh, he's... Uh, He's met with President Putin. I haven't gotten the full report yet, but uh, it would look like we will probably be meeting sometime in the not-too-distant future. Uh, And I've said it from day one, getting along with Russia and with China and with everybody is a very good thing. It's good for the world. It's good for us. It's good for everybody. Uh, So we'll probably be meeting sometime uh, around my trip to Europe. Now, that was an ABC reporter that was asking him about that. And I'm just mentioning that to you because um, there's a big difference between how some of the reporters ask Donald Trump questions and how Jim Acosta will ask Donald Trump questions. She's respectful. She has a respectful tone. And then she says, thank you, sir, after he answers the questions. Whereas Jim Acosta just shoots questions at Donald Trump like a machine gun. Do you know where? Uh, It hasn't been determined yet. Uh, Probably I will know within an hour. Well, I think we'll be talking about Syria. I think we'll be talking about Ukraine. I think we'll be talking about uh, many other subjects, and we'll see what happens. So you never know. You never know about meetings, what happens, right? But I think a lot of good things can come with meetings with people. We had great meetings with President Xi of China. We have, every place I've been, uh, we have had great meetings. So uh, maybe something positive will come out of it. As far as when you might meet with Putin, will it be after NATO? Probably after. Right after NATO. Probably after. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. You see what I'm saying? It's respectful. There's a, there is a, I, he respects her as a professional and she respects him as the president of the United States. And there's a much different dynamic there. Uh, I'm just, I'm just, just so you see that. Now, there are some people that are a little worried about Donald Trump's meeting. No, it's, it's not your buddy, Sheriff Woody. Uh, Adam Schiff, it's the NATO allies. They're concerned that maybe Trump and Putin will become BFFs while Trump's telling them to pay up on bills. Uh, ahead of the the potential summit between Donald Trump and Vladimir Putin, I interviewed four senior officials. This is Jonathan Swan of Axios. From uh, NATO member nations, uh, there was very consistent concern across all of these officials about the about the summit, and the main concern it was very starkly illustrated to me by uh, Poland Senator and Secretary of State Anna Maria Anders is that Putin will charm Donald Trump into giving something away, and that their their summit will be a much warmer affair. That they they worry it will be a much warmer affair. Imagine, I can already see it. This is this news is just our old but i can already make a red book prediction the the spy the spy trained vladimir putin will will compliment and sway donald trump he'll he'll wrap donald trump up in his spy lies and get him to bend over backwards for him than the NATO summit where NATO members are expecting Donald Trump to turn up and beat them up over not paying enough uh, in their defense budgets. I, I, I know that. Show me the money. Exactly. 
Now let's uh, keep going into this category here because isn't that so? Isn't that so typical? Like um, two of the world's largest powers decide we're going to have a summit and see if we can't meet some common ground. And now the NATO members are freaking out. What does that tell you? What purpose does NATO serve? What does that tell you? I think it's actually pretty telling. I think it's I think it's extremely telling about what NATO's purpose is and what NATO's intention is. But let's not focus on that. No, no. Let's focus on something new, something big, the big picture, if you will, the Space Force. My administration is reclaiming America's heritage as the world's greatest spacefaring nation. The essence of the American character is to explore new horizons and to tame new frontiers. But our destiny beyond the Earth is not only a matter of national identity, but a matter of national security. So important for our military. So important. So important. So important. people don't talk about it. Nobody's talking about this random-ass fucking thing. When it comes to defending America, it is not enough to merely have an American presence in space. As if we haven't had a side space program going on since the space shuttle. We must have American dominance oh. in space. Oh, dominance. So important. so important. Very importantly, I'm here by directing the Department of Defense and Pentagon to immediately begin the process necessary to establish a space force as the sixth branch of the armed forces. That's a big statement. I do whine because I want to win. The Space Force. We've seen this coming. We've been talking to you about this since December. We are going to have the Air Force and we are going to have the Space Force. Separate but equal. I just can't. It is going to be something so important. General Dunford, if you would carry that assignment out, I would be very greatly honored also. Where's General Dunford? General? God damn it. If you're watching the video version, he looks like such an old man right now. Got it? I still get it, General. He doesn't even know where anybody on the stage is. This is a really common thing for Donald Trump. And I'm only pointing this out because if it was Hillary Clinton, I'd be doing the same thing. He is spatially unaware of anyone who is around him. I've brought this up before on the show. He does not take stock of who is up on stage. And when he's sitting down at his big table in the West Wing, he's not taking stock of who's at the table. It's the weirdest thing about him. And it is it's. I mean, it's almost like he's a crazy person. If you would carry that assignment out, I would be very greatly honored also. Where's General Dunford? General? Got it? I still get it, General. Fuck yeah! But that's the importance that we give it. We're going to have the Space Force. One year ago... I revived the National Space Council and put exactly the right man in charge, and that's our friend, Mike Pence, who feels very strongly about this. And in December, I signed a historic directive that will return Americans to the moon for the first time since 1972, if you can believe that. Threatened. The world needs help. It calls on America. 
And that's the story. Now, here's a weird one. And uh, let's watch the news try to stumble around explaining this story. You remember those devices that, I mean, we've covered them on TechSnap for years. We've talked about them on this show. They're called the Stingray. And it's a fake cell tower. Tonight, we have new details about electronic spying devices showing up in very suspicious places, including right near the White House. Let's bring in CNN's Brian Todd. Uh, Brian, what kind of threat do these listening devices pose? And do we have any idea who might be responsible for planting them? Who could it be? Who could own stingrays? Who could have access to stingray technology? Who could it be? Both intelligence experts and members of Congress say they believe foreign intelligence agencies could be planning these devices. Yeah, it's totally the Russians. Totally the Russians. Not our own spy agencies. Not the FBI. It's totally the Russians. Now, this has real urgency tonight because President Trump, according to multiple sources, has been using his personal cell phone more and more often in recent weeks to contact outside advisors. Now, this is where they divert your attention. Right here. So we're going to break this clip down as a bit of propaganda because that's what the fuck it is. This is propaganda. This is to give you a bit of information to serve that purpose, but to lead you away from the scent. And I don't know if you've already caught it yet, but it just happened. They just they just forked the universe right there. They just went from news to news fiction. They just went from news to fake news, if you will. I'm going to make that up my term. You guys can run with it. I'm going to play it over so you can catch it. And then we'll stop here again and review. Tonight, we have new details about electronic spying devices showing up in very suspicious places, including right near the White House. Let's bring in CNN's Brian Todd. Uh, Brian, what kind of threat do these listening devices pose? And do we have any idea who might be responsible for planting them? Wolf intelligence experts and members of Congress say they believe foreign intelligence agencies could be planning these devices. All right. Intelligence experts, which is extremely vague, and members of Congress, which are informed old uninformed old people. All right. So that's just that's just a little bit of background. And members of Congress say they believe foreign intelligence agencies could be planning these devices. Now, all of that is completely possible. It actually could be Putin. Maybe he booked a flight. He came over to D.C. and he installed some stingrays all in English that are all on American cellular frequencies hmm, into D.C. Maybe that happened. All right. That is actually plausible. So all of that so far isn't the fork. Now, this has real urgency tonight because now real urgency. So what gives this some spin? President Trump, according to multiple sources, has been using his personal cell phone more and more often in recent weeks to contact outside advisors. There it is. That's the fork right there. Instead of asking the question deeper, who's doing this? What are they collecting? How often does this happen? Is it in other cities? Instead, they fork the reality and they go to Trump's personal cell phone. Now, why would they do that? Why would they do that? Because, very simply, you now avoid the entire problem of having to answer any of those questions. You don't, gotta have come, you don't have to have any answers. You never have to dig any further. You don't have to ask any officials because you've got this entire other narrative, which is of your own creation, in which you can run with. But it has a tertiary and secondary benefit, one and two benefits. The second benefit, besides not having to answer the, of the questions, is it once again reminds you that Donald Trump is using his own phone, and calling outside advisors. They want to make sure you remember that. Donald Trump is constantly ad getting advice from outsiders. They want you to know that. So that's, that's the first thing. The second thing that it does, or really the third thing that it does, 
is it serves to potentially isolate Donald Trump from external advisors, people outside the swamp. Really, what would be great is some sort of legislative action or some sort of Secret Service action to protect the president and his communications, to remove his personal phone, to prevent him from communicating with outside advisors, to isolate Donald Trump. That's really the ultimate goal here. But they're able to serve three purposes. They don't have to answer who's deploying the stingrays, if it's a violation of your constitutional rights. They don't have to look into any of that. They can remind you that Donald Trump is consulting outside advisors on his personal phone and the tertiary benefit. The third thing, they can potentially serve to accelerate the conversation that will lead to isolating Donald Trump from advisors outside the D.C. swamp. All of that just happened in the first few seconds of this clip. Let's watch the rest. Tonight we have new details about electronic spying devices showing up in very suspicious places, including right near the White House. Let's bring in CNN's Brian Todd. Uh, Brian, what kind of threat do these listening devices pose, and do we have any idea who might be responsible for planting them? Wolf, intelligence experts and members of Congress say they believe foreign intelligence agencies could be planning these devices. Now, this has real urgency tonight because President Trump, according to multiple sources, has been using his personal cell phone more and more often in recent weeks to contact outside advisors. One senior White House official telling CNN he's, quote, talking to all sorts of people on it. Tonight, new information suggests that those calls could be more vulnerable to being spied on. See, it's all about distracting. It's just it goes back to like when Edward Snowden had all of these revelations before they knew who he was, before they could really dig into the revelations. They focused on his girlfriend. They focused on her yoga pictures and they kept B-roll looping pictures of her in a bikini. It really is about moving the shiny and getting you to pay attention. So again, they bring it back to Donald Trump's cell phone. This is just a Again, a few seconds into this clip, and again, we've brought it back to Donald Trump's cell phone. Barack Obama had a cell phone. Barack Obama just had his cell phone checked every 30 days, but he had his own cell phone. You can go look this up. He had a cell phone. He turned it in for examination and audit every 30 days. Donald Trump has not done that. But it was for the same purpose. Senior White House official telling CNN he's, quote, talking to all sorts of people on it. Tonight, new information suggests that those calls could be more vulnerable to being spied on. A new report from the Department of Homeland Security says there were signs that cell phone surveillance devices were detected as recently as last year, operating near the White House and other sensitive locations around Washington. Now, that is unquestionably the big story about this. That is what should be discussed, and every aspect of that could be analyzed, from the type of equipment, the frequencies they were operating on, the locations they were installed at, who could have possibly done that, all of it could be the point of discussion. The devices are called Stingrays, or International Mobile Subscriber Identity Catchers, and they're not only illegal for non-law enforcement usage in America, they're capable of gathering a lot of secret information. You can't even buy them unless you're law enforcement. The MC Catcher pretends that it's a cell phone tower, so your phone will connect to it, and it will collect things like the device number so it knows who you are, records of who you communicate with, and in some instances, even the contents of your communications. Here's the reality, is uh, unless for some weird reason these people at CNN are completely naive, they completely, completely understand that it's likely our own legal system. 
somebody, maybe it's the FBI, maybe it's some other organization in our government, is unconstitutionally surveying huge portions of the public, and they're probably using some justification like it's near the White House. That's unquestionably what's happening. It's kind of obvious on its face because they're the only ones that can buy the devices. They're the only ones that can be licensed to operate on those spectrums. And they're the only ones that can even get the equipment to uh, to read the logs from the Stingray devices. It's not just the Stingray themselves, but then the equipment to read the output of the Stingray is also only available to legal law enforcement. So it's Obvious on its face that it is some unconstitutional deployment by one of our law agencies. But CNN never really gets there. The Department of Homeland Security isn't saying who it believes deployed the devices or even if they're still around. But members of Congress and analysts say they were likely planted by spies. The only people that could do this and get away with it are people under diplomatic cover, which means foreign intelligence services. It could be China. It could be Russia. This is their go-to former CIA guy, and it's Bob Bear, and we've had him on the show before. But listen to him not um, really kind of being able to answer any of these questions. It's sort of awkward here. I'm going to back it up a little bit. You can tell he's just kind of reaching, and the elephant in the room is so obvious, and neither one of them are saying it. Which means foreign intelligence services. It could be China. It could be Russia. Former CIA officer Bob Bayer says there's also spy software called SS7, used all over Washington, which can listen in on cell phones and pick up even more content than Stingrays can. I can take this phone or your phone, send, introduce malware into the phone, which then will bleed off over a phone line. No, there's no phone line, first of all. There's no phone line. It would probably be over a data connection, you old man. And second of all, I challenge you to install malware on my phone. That's an easy thing to just throw around. But go ahead. Try to get malware on my phone, you son of a bitch. Go ahead. Try it. Malware into the phone, which then will bleed off over a phone line our conversations, room harmonics, being a conversation, people talking. You just said that texts, and emails. Experts say all of this technology capable of intercepting calls is why they're concerned about reports that President Trump is using a personal mobile phone inside the White House. They say even if he isn't discussing top secret information, he could still be creating a security risk. Could you imagine them? They're sitting on... Oh, man. If we could just isolate Trump, he'd go even crazier. (laughs) It'd be so great to watch that. Whether it's him trying to get around John Kelly by using this cell phone, and someone could ask... (laughs) Well, what's Kelly going to think? And if he responds, well, it doesn't matter. He's at the Pentagon right now. That's not classified, but that can tell foreign intelligence agencies, huh, the chief of staff of the White House is meeting with people at the Pentagon. So they call uh, SS7 a uh, program. It's a protocol. It's the standard interchange protocol on the cell networks. This whole thing is completely off the mark. This uh, former CIA agent is obviously super out of touch. He has no idea what he's talking about when it comes to mobile devices. Bayer says drastic measures might be needed to protect the president's conversations. Go grab his phone. Some Go pounce on him. The Secret Service needs to run it, rush him, and just grab his phone and save the president from his phone. Look, the president is completely vulnerable to having his conversations listened to. I would take his phone away from him. There's no way to secure it. 
Now, Democratic Senator Ron Wyden of the Intelligence Committee and other members of Congress have called on the Federal Communications Commission. Other members include Dianne Feinstein and, um, oh yeah, uh, whoever the Democrat is from New Mexico. To investigate the use of those interception devices. So far, the FCC has resisted that, saying it has no particular evidence that the devices are being unlawfully used. You know, just all of these devices around Washington, D.C., including the White House. What evidence? <laughs> has resisted that saying it has no particular evidence that the devices are being unlawfully used. Now, we've reached out to the White House, but they've not responded to the concerns over those surveillance devices or the concerns about President Trump using his personal cell phone so much. Well, Brian, Senator Wyden uh, and other Democrats are now putting uh, more pressure on President Trump, specifically over his use of his personal mobile phone. I don't even believe it is his personal phone. Prove it to me. Somebody prove it to me it's a personal phone. Can you prove it? I don't see any proof. I, I feel like they're freaking out over nothing. Anyways, that's just the shit that uh, surprised me since the last episode. Now, let's get into this inspector general's report that was about the Justice Department's investigation into Hillary Clinton's emails and into Donald Trump's campaign and Russia collusion. There's this big report, and it finds that James Comey, your buddy, the former FBI director, was insubordinate, but he was not biased. The inspector general says James Comey broke long-standing rules in handling the email case, but uh -oh. concluded that the FBI had no political motive to help or hurt Hillary Clinton or Donald Trump. No political motive. Text messages between lovers saying they have insurance policies to make sure Donald Trump is never elected and that they won't allow it to happen. Not a political motive. As for Comey's July 2016 statement, announcing no charges but severely criticizing Clinton and her staff. They were extremely careless in their handling of very sensitive, highly classified information. The report says it was extraordinary and insubordinate for Comey to do it without telling Attorney General Loretta Lynch beforehand. Maybe he didn't tell Loretta Lynch beforehand because she met with Bill Clinton on a tarmac. The report found no good reason for why, after more Clinton emails were found on the laptop of Anthony Weiner in late September 2016, it took the FBI a month to start examining them. There's no evidence the FBI was biased in its slow response, the report says. But it reveals that in August, FBI lawyer Lisa Page texted about Trump, he's not ever going to become president, right? Right? And Peter Strzok, a senior agent on the investigation, responded, no, no, he's not. We'll stop it. Strzok chose to put more priority at the time on investigating Russia's election meddling. The report says we did not have confidence that Strzok's decision was free from bias. Oh, this is a really a black mark for the Department of Justice and for the top levels of the FBI. Now, there is some uh, NBC wanted you to know all of that, but there is some bits in the report that they uh, didn't cover. Here's what they left out of that report. Uh, it's just it's just kind of funny they didn't mention this. I'm not sure why they wouldn't have said this part. You'd sure think they'd want you to be informed as the fourth estate that's protecting you from Donald Trump. You'd sure think they'd want you to know about the collusion between the FBI and the media. We identified instances where FBI employees improperly received benefits from reporters, including tickets to sporting events, golfing outings, drinks and meals, and admittance to non-public social events. We will separately report on those investigations as they are concluded. I hope so. I'd like to see that. Now, the report shows pretty extensive contact between the FBI and reporters. And furthermore, it shows that agents were incentivized to provide inside information. 
We have profound concerns about the volume and extent of unauthorized media contacts by FBI personnel that we have uncovered during our review. Seven reporters in direct contact with the FBI, over 100 phone calls. You've got officials as high up as the assistant director taking time to hobnob with reporters. If you read this report, you would think that at this point, leaking classified information is just not a big deal to the highest law enforcement agency in the land. Hmm. Yeah, you might think that. I wonder why NBC left that part out. Hmm. What do, you, what, do you, what do you think, guys? Why did NBC leave that part out? They also left out the bit about a leaker getting arrested from the FBI. You see, there was this individual who is responsible for taking classified information from the executive office to the Congress. And actually, instead of me explaining it to you, I'll let Cucker Tuckerson explain it. Well, good evening and welcome to Tucker Carlson tonight. You think House of Cards is a TV show? Sort of. Also kind of real, though, it turns out. Today, the FBI brought charges against the former director of security for the Senate Intelligence Committee. It was part of an ongoing investigation of secret information that has been leaked to the press over the years. The man in question is called James Wolfe. He was in charge of handling information as it passed from the executive branch to the Congress. Wolf had access to huge amounts of highly classified information, including intelligence documents. Now, a job like that requires unimpeachable integrity. Wolf is accused of leaking classified material to several reporters and then lying about it to the FBI. And it gets weirder from there. Allegedly, Wolf passed information to a college student called Allie Watkins. Watkins later went on to become a reporter at several media outlets, including Politico, BuzzFeed, and The New York Times. Wolf, who is in his 50s, has admitted having a relationship, apparently, with Watkins that went on for three years. Watkins has denied that Wolf was ever a source for her stories, but text messages released today strongly suggest otherwise. Here's one, quote, I always tried to give you as much information so you could get that scoop before anyone else, Wolf wrote to Watkins. I felt like I was part of your excitement and was always very supportive of your career and the tenacity you exhibited to chase down a good story. It goes on like this. That's so gross. God, are you not, you know, like, if if you've ever been trying to impress a girl, you can totally relate to what that guy's saying there. And it's so, so embarrassing. It's so basic. It's pretty sad and a little creepy. I felt like I was part of your excitement. You know, you imagine these guys are sinister. It turns out they're mostly just pathetic. Though they are kind of sinister too, actually. The Russia hoax would not exist. It wouldn't metastasize to take over our entire government, our entire national conversation, if corrupt bureaucrats like this weren't misusing their power, which they are. So it's hard to feel too much sympathy for this wolf guy. On the other hand, the feds once again are prosecuting somebody whose sole alleged crime is lying to the feds. It would be nice if our government went after people for real crimes once in a while. might make you feel a little better about the system. The DOJ also seized phone and email records from a reporter in this case and apparently broke into encrypted text exchanges. What? Didn't know that was possible. Turns out it is. (laughs) This all looks a lot like what the Obama people used to do. It was worrisome then, and it's worrisome now. When the government spies on American citizens, it is always a big deal. That's right. Whether those citizens are New York Times reporters or whether they are Trump campaign staffers. It doesn't matter. There had better be a very good reason for spying on Americans. I agree. I agree. I just thought his coverage of that particular part was pretty interesting. Now, I do love me some Gowdy mode. And Trey goes full Gowdy mode when he's doing his uh, Q&A of um, the... 
Justice Department's uh, chief guy. I'm sorry, I'm forgetting his name right now because my player isn't loading, so I'm totally distracted. If if you guys out there use Dragon Player on the Plasma desktop, what do you do when it starts crashing on you? Because mine's just like, oh, there it goes. It's just like randomly assly crashing on me. But anyways, uh, Trey Gowdy is doing a Q&A with the Justice Department uh, representative who was was on the hill to give the results of their of their entire investigation. And uh, Trey, Gowdy, Trey Gowdy opens up with a strong line. But that leads us to the one thing we did not see Jim Comey do, which was take any steps to spur the appointment of special counsel in the Hillary Clinton investigation. When he lost confidence in the Trump, Trump Justice Department, he memorialized private conversations, he leaked them, and he admitted he did so to spur the appointment of special counsel because he didn't trust the career prosecutors at the Department of Justice. That's a good point. When I heard this, I, I kind of, I think I made my mind up about James Comey. I think, I think before this clip, I was on the fence. I, I wasn't sure what side he was playing for. Uh, I just wasn't sure. I could, I could sense he was a politician trying to cover his own ass. But I, I just wasn't sure about some other details. But what Trey does here is he he really kind of shows the contrast in in behavior between what he does when a Democrat's in office versus what Comey did when a Republican's in office. And I, I think this closes the book for me on James Comey. I want you to hear this clip and see if you say, feel the same way. Which was take any steps to spur the appointment of special counsel in the Hillary Clinton investigation. When he lost confidence in the Trump, Trump Justice Department, he memorialized private conversations, he leaked them, and he admitted he did so to spur the appointment of special counsel because he didn't trust the career prosecutors at the Department of Justice. When he lost confidence in the Obama Justice Department, he didn't make special memos. He didn't share them with his law professor friends. He didn't leak the information. He didn't lift a finger to get special prosecutor. Instead, he appointed himself FBI director, attorney general, special counsel, lead investigator, and the general arbiter of what is good and right in the world, according to him. And one of the last times I spoke with Director Comey was in a committee hearing. We had a pointed exchange on what I thought was the FBI making decisions based in part on politics. Now, I think the context is important here. This hearing which I just played a little bit in the pre-pre-show, which, yes, is a thing. We have a pre-pre-show over at jblive.tv on Wednesdays, usually around 3, 3.30 Pacific time. I, I can't commit, but I, I generally just, when I feel like I'm done prepping for the show, which just starts about 6 a.m., and just I just, like a marathon mach- machine, go from 6 a.m. until live, and usually that's around 3 or 3.30 p.m. Pacific time. And, and what I played on the pre-show, it was a bit of a snoozer, I admit, but what I played was the entire hearing that you're watching a bit of right now. And what's interesting about that hearing is it starts with about a solid 25 minutes of some of the lead Democrats shitting all over James Comey, including Dianne Feinstein. They they shit on him for how he handled the Hillary investigation. They shit on him for bypassing Loretta Lynch. It's it's brutal. They invited him to that hearing and he declined and they just brutalize him for it. 
So this is this is about an hour and 20 minutes into that hearing. And now Trey Gowdy, who's on the right, is also just brutalizing him. This hearing and this IG report solidified Donald Trump's firing of James Comey. Like, there, there's no revisiting that decision now. It is completely justified after this hearing. Last times I spoke with Director Comey was in a committee hearing. We had a pointed exchange on what I thought was the FBI making decisions based in part on politics. And he, in his typically sanctimonious way, told me that he disagreed. He said the men and women of the <laughs> FBI do not, quote, give a hoot about politics. Unfortunately, and I use that word intentionally, unfortunately, he was dead wrong. There were agents and attorneys at the FBI who gave a lot more than a hoot about politics. There's Andy McCabe, the former deputy director and acting director of the FBI, an agency which investigates and charges others for making false statements, himself accused of making false statements and showing a lack of candor. I think I recall, perhaps someone can correct me, but I think I recall some of my Democrat colleagues falling over themselves to offer a job to Andy McCabe when he was let go for making false statements. I covered that. And for a lack of candor, but those same colleagues apparently weren't hiring. They didn't have any openings when others in a related investigation called Russia were charged with the same offense. There were FBI agents and attorneys who decided to prejudge the outcome of the Hillary Clinton case before the investigation ended. I want you to let that sink in for a second. They prejudged the outcome of the Hillary Clinton investigation before the investigation ended, and these exact same FBI agents and attorneys prejudged the outcome of the Russia investigation before it even began. That's it right there. That's it right there. Trey Gowdy with the beard fucking nails it. That is it right there. 100% since day one. Breaking news. Breaking news. And it's been obvious to those of you probably following the show. It's been obvious to me for a while now. Um, so let's let's fast forward about another 30 minutes or so into this hearing. It's actually not that long. I exaggerate. But they just feel it's like dog ears watching these hearings, guys. It's like dog ears. And uh, so Horowitz is answering questions, again, from the Department of Justice. He's answering questions. And Trey Gowdy asked him, well, you as a prosecutor in the past – would you be comfortable having these FBI agents on your team? That's uh, I'm paraphrasing. Hard time finding. Uh, Inspector General Horowitz, if one of your investigators talked about Lisa Page and Peter Strzok the way they talked about Donald Trump, would you have left them on the IG investigation? Uh, no. Did you ever have an agent when you were a prosecutor with this level of bias? Uh, you know, as I've laid out, he was completely antithetical to the core values of the department. I'm sorry, what? Extremely serious. I'm sorry, could you say that again? Can you speak up, please? I'm sorry. Um, I heard you. I, but you can say it where Mr. Nadler can hear you, too. I, um, you know, my view of this was that this was extremely serious, completely antithetical to the core values. In my personal view, having been a prosecutor and worked with FBI agents, I can't imagine FBI agents suggesting even that they might use their powers to um, investigate frankly, any candidate for any office. I'm not going to dignify that with an answer. It is, in his words, antithetical to the core values of the Department of Justice. 
The core values. Wow. Well, then they better fire some people, right? Like, seriously. Like, they better fire some motherfuckers. Like, some people better seriously get fired for this shenanigans. And I, I would make a Red Book prediction right here, right now, 284. Some people from the FBI are going to get fired over this because they have to. Not even for any other reason than just the American public will be super cynical about the Department of Justice and the FBI if they don't clean house a little bit. So just for the optics of the situation, they got to clean house. They have to. And if they don't, there will be a total loss in trust. There will be a total loss in trust. They have to. Let's uh, let's shift gears right now because uh, I know it's it's a little it's a little hard it's a little it's a little awkward to go from that to immigration, but that's really what's gotten everybody fired up. The 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 separating of families at the border. Who ordered it? Who ordered the change in policy? So you've you've referenced the attorney general's decision uh, to go to zero tolerance for immigration violations. For for over ten years, the U.S. Border Patrol has had a consequence delivery system where you try to apply consequences for violating the law. Mm-hmm. Uh, an immigration violation, crossing the border illegally, is not a victimless crime. It puts those individuals at risk. Mm-hmm. It puts the border patrol agents trying to interdict them at risk, mm-hmm. uh, and, and it creates chaos in the border communities where you have people in failure to yield situations, high speed chases. You have people in semis. It's not a good situation on, on any, any Okay, why is level. it so hard, though, in this detention center, for instance, the one that, that the media was fi- uh, allowed to tour, why is it so hard to keep families together there? I'm really glad you asked that question. Really uh, glad. He's so glad. Because that's exactly what uh, Jay Johnson did as Secretary of Homeland Security in 2014, the first time we saw a crisis like this. Mm-hmm. Uh, we didn't have family residential centers where families could be detained together at that time. He made the decision, because of these risks that they were facing, because of this cycle of, of violence and, and danger, for these families being enticed into the system by our immigration laws, he decided to detain families and and repatriate them after their immigration proceedings. Unfortunately, a year later, in 2015, a district court judge interpreting a 20-year-old settlement between the INS and and several plaintiffs determined that we could not detain children, even if they were accompanied by their parents, for more than 20 days. They can't finish their proceedings with due process in 20 days. So here is the core issue, just in case you missed that. There was a court ruling that said that you could not do this for more than 22 days. And the issue is the federal government can't even take a shit in 22 days. Who ordered it? Hold on. Whoa, 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 whoa. So the dragon player this episode is really screwing with me. Hold on. Let me go back here. I think it's right about here. In 2015, a district court judge interpreting a 20-year-old settlement between the INS and, and several plaintiffs determined that we could not detain children, even if they were accompanied by their parents, for more than 20 days. Now that right there, what you just heard is the essential argument for this change in policy by the Trump administration. It's it's really important that you understand this part because everything in this conversation that's happening right now is predicated around this particular moment. He decided to detain families and, and repatriate them after their immigration proceedings. Unfortunately, a year later, in 2015, a district court judge interpreting a 20-year-old settlement between the INS and and several plaintiffs determined that we could not detain children, even if they were accompanied by their parents, for more than 20 days. They can't finish their proceedings with due process in 20 days, so they essentially forced release. So we don't have that tool in our toolbox to keep them together. Hello, YouTubers. Yeah, so that's the core argument. And and, uh, so the core argument is... 
Well, after 22 days, we have to start separating them, and it takes us about 60 days minimum or longer. Uh, but uh, that, that isn't exactly what people want to hear, is it? They don't like that. They don't like that at all. But this isn't a huge surprise. If you've been following the news a year ago, before John Kelly was in the White House, he was in the DHS, and he had this to say. Oh, Dragon Player. You are, you are, you are, Dragon Player is, uh, is our unannounced co-host this episode. It is throwing this episode off. All right, here we go. Boom. MPV. Are you, the Department of Homeland Security, considering a new, a new initiative that would separate children from their parents if they try to enter the United States illegally? So this is Wolf, and he is interviewing John Kelly while he was at the Department of Homeland Security. So this is a clip from a year ago. Uh, let me start by saying I would do almost anything to deter uh, the people from Central America uh, uh, to getting on this very, very dangerous network that brings them up through Mexico into the United States. That's not an answer. That's not, that's not an answer. Let me just be precise. Right. If you get... Some young kids were coming in, managed to sneak into the United States with their parents. Our Department of Homeland Security personnel going to separate the children from their moms and dads. We, we have tremendous experience in dealing with unaccompanied minors. That is creepy as hell. Uh, we turn them over to HHS uh, and they do a very, very good job of you. No, they don't. Anytime the federal government is getting involved with managing children, they don't do a good job. There is no version of doing a good job. The putting them in kind of foster care. Or kind of foster care, you know, kind of, you know, kind of foster care. Linking them up with parents or family members in the United States. Jesus yes. Christ. You can't even get it straight. Kind of foster care or linking them up with parents or family members in the United States. You know, details. Yes, I am considering in order to deter uh, more movement along this terribly dangerous network, I am considering... Uh, exactly that. They will be well cared for as we deal with their parents. But you understand how that looks to the average person uh, who is... You it's know, more important to me, Wolf, to, to try to keep people off of this awful network. Now, that's from a year ago. <laughs> and so now here we are today and everybody's shocked. Everybody is so shocked by the Trump administration's new policy. But the reality is this has been in the works for a while. And there was a lot of heat building against Donald Trump and the Trump administration. They were propping up tents. Corey Lewandowski got quoted for saying, womp, womp. I mean, look, I, I read today about a 10-year-old uh, girl with Down syndrome who was taken from her mother and put in a cage. Womp, womp. I read about womp, womp. a girl with Down syndrome who was taken from her mother and put in a cage. Womp, womp. I read about a, a, did you say want want to a 10-year-old with Down syndrome what being I taken said from is her you mother? Can pick anything How you dare want you? Up, but the bottom line How is very dare clear. You. How dare you? When you cross How absolutely the border dare you, illegally, <laughs> you <are> <laughs> dare <laughs> you. <laughs> That's, that, so that happened. I mean, I'm not laughing at the situation, but that guy's reaction is super funny. So there was a lot of pressure building against Donald Trump uh, around the entire White House family separations. He's White House press secretary, uh, special assistant to the president. So, Hogan, do you think the, the, the message from the media is correct? That your administration is separating parents, uh, moms, and kids. So that's uh, that's not exactly a, a, a optics that you want 
as the Trump administration. So Donald Trump took swift action. I signed a very good executive order yesterday, but that's only limited. And by swift, I mean about a week or so. No matter how you cut it, it leads to separation ultimately. I'm directing HHS, DHS, and DOJ to work together to keep illegal immigrant families together during the immigration process and to reunite these previously separated groups. But the only real solution is for Congress to close the catch and release loopholes that have fueled the child smuggling industry. What he's talking about there, and it's something that's not getting enough attention, is there was a change in U.S. policy. And the change led to a 300 percent increase in non-family members bringing children with them to the border so that way they could get in. Because in the past, if you know, basically the way it worked is if you had a kid with you, that they weren't going to screw with you that much. And it was sort of a loophole. And so there was a 300 and something increase. And I'll have a link to all this in the show notes where people like were just buying kids to bring with them. Now, you could argue it's a chicken and egg problem. If the U.S. hadn't made a shift in their policy, that wouldn't have happened. So now this is a reaction to a reaction, which is a reaction to a policy change, which is a reaction to a policy change, which was a reaction. The catch and release loopholes that have fueled the child smuggling industry. My wife, our first lady, is down now an immigrant. at the border because it really bothered her to be looking at this and to seeing it as it bothered me. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Me too. Yeah, me too. And these people, these these guys, I don't even know who around me because I don't pay attention. Yes, it bothered everybody at this table. We're all bothered by it. But we need two to tango. We have 51 votes in the Senate. We need 60, unfortunately, because we have the ridiculous filibuster rule. Essentially, we need 10 Democrats. Not going to get them. They're told by Schumer and Pelosi, don't do it. We should be able to do a bill. I'd invite them to come over to the White House anytime they want. This afternoon would be good. After the cabinet meeting would be good. They are invited officially. I'll let you do the inviting. Let the press do the inviting. But we have to do something about immigration in this country. There you go. I, that's, a, that's a funny technique, right? Oh, you guys, I just this is the invitation right here, right now. This is it right now, right here. This is it. And so why aren't they showing up? <laughs> That's a good one. The White House has chastised the media for distorting the facts to discredit the administration's tough immigration policy. It's after a major news magazine published an unrelated but powerful photo on its cover to slam Trump. But as Caleb Morpin explains, similar cases are becoming more frequent on both sides of the debate. They say that a picture is worth a thousand words. Powerful images hit you in the gut, and they pluck at our heartstrings. But they can also be deceiving. Take a look at this cover of Time magazine. The little girl in this photo has become symbolic of the Trump administration's policy of separating undocumented children from their parents. Here's the original photo, and here's how the photo has been used in mainstream media. I could sit here all day and tell you about President Trump's new zero-tolerance immigration policy, or... I could just show you a single picture, this one. No one image has come to define the policy more than this one. It shows a two-year-old Honduran girl crying as her mother is pat down. As it happens, the girl in the image was actually not separated from her mother, unlike lots of other children. Her father in Honduras has confirmed that. 
You can imagine how I felt when I saw that photo of my daughter. It broke my heart. Oh. It's difficult as a father to see that, but、mm. I now know that they are not in danger. They are safer now than when they were making that journey to the border. So, cue the clarifications, retractions, and updates from outlets like the Washington Post that ran with the "this little girl was taken away from her parents" story. The father of the little girl told the Washington Post that the child and mother were not separated. U.S. and Honduran officials have confirmed the father's account to other news organizations. Actually, both sides of American politics are guilty of doing this. They find a very powerful image and they run with it, no matter where it came from. Take the right-wing blog Drudge Report. They're generally supportive of Trump's immigration policies. They found this photo and said that it was immigrants crossing the U.S. border. Actually, this photo is from Syria. Take this photo of a child、Oops. in a cage, posted by a journalist, to raise awareness about the plight of migrant children, even though he admitted he didn't know where the photo came from. Still trying to find the source for this photo. Saw it on a Facebook friend's timeline, but looking for confirmation. <laughs> That's, you know, I, I I have a little rant for the overtime、uh, coming up too about how like journalists are really just kind of watching Twitter these days. But I'll save that for the overtime. This immigration story has been really rough for、uh, everyone. I think watching. In fact. I was gonna make a joke, and I decided just to completely avoid it. Like, have you been fully triggered this week? How, did it finally get to you? I think this.、Um, so, if you follow, the, so that there's there's really two school of thoughts from what I see from right now in two eighty four, and that is Trump is just implementing the law as it is, thanks to a recent interpretation, a semi recent interpretation of the law, and they're just enforcing it. And the Justice Department has just made a zero tolerance policy, and now Trump has rectified the rough edges of it with an executive order. That's one argument. Now, there's a second argument to be made here, or really, it's a third, because the second argument is the Democratic argument. It's it's, and I, I don't want to get into it right now because I'd rather talk about my personal view on it. I I I do recognize that if you can exploit children to get into the country, that is something that needs to be stopped, and it might take cracking a few eggs to de-incentivize that behavior. I can see that argument, but as someone in my childhood who experienced the state coming in and trying to. Intervene in the family. I I can tell you that it is it is it is with a cold dead hand that they they come in and sweep. They operate with without feeling, without nuance. It's it's、um, antiseptical. It's like a it's like a medical procedure. It's like they're removing a tumor from a body. They cut the children out. And they extract them from the organism, but of course, it's so deeper than that. It's about feelings and emotion. It's about family. It's about your mom and your dad. And they don't have any capacity for that because it's a binary function for them. And when the federal government gets involved with jailing people or detaining people, that's where I draw the line in general. Unless you've killed somebody. Unless you've raped people, 
I, 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 I generally feel like the federal government shouldn't be able to put a hand on you. It's only the luxury of the people who've never had their lives destroyed by the legal system that think that we should be detaining people. If you've ever spent some time in jail, if you've ever been detained by law enforcement, if anyone you care about has ever been detained by law enforcement, there is a coldness to that. It feels like an unstoppable force comes into your life and destroys everything you care about. It feels like a tornado comes into your home and destroys everything. And you're left just holding the pieces. You're left you're left forced to just go on and continue as if as if everything is normal when everything you around you has been destroyed because this silent force that is enabled by the very citizens of the country around you has come into your home and destroyed everything and that's a human thing that's not an american thing that's not a canadian thing that's not a mexican thing that's a human thing so when you're separating parents from their children or you're detaining people in general for anything other than the most egregious of crimes, I'm against it. And I, I appreciate that this was, a, this was a, a domino effect that started many years ago. But all of this, all of this feels like it's in service of a wall it's in service of a political promise by a narcissist who wants to deliver on some of the original things that he made ridiculous claims about. And I don't feel like that is worth disrupting, disrupting human life. I don't feel like that is worth breaking up families. If I could snap my fingers and create a solution for this, the solution would just be simple. It would be collect the entire family and send them the fuck back to Mexico until they have gotten legal right to enter the country. It'd be really simple. Fuck due process. What do we need due process? Send them the fuck back to Mexico, all of them. And then let them in, begin the process, put them on a list, and begin the process. And charge me tons of, charge me plenty of tax dollars for this. But why do we have to punish the parents and separate the children? Send them the fuck back. Start the process. They seem pretty motivated. If they're that motivated, you know what we, you know what we call people that are motivated like that here in the country? If they're not Mexican, you know what we call those people? Entrepreneurs. That's what we call those people. That's the entrepreneur spirit is what we would say. But, you know, when they're dirty motherfucking Mexicans, well, then they're criminals. I don't understand why it has to be a big thing. Collect them up, put them in a van, and send them back to Mexico. And then let them go through a process. Put their name on a list, do the whole thing. 
how is that less humane than separating families and holding them in detention centers? It just doesn't make any sense to me. It's it's like I'm watching some sort of bizarro universe fold out. It's like the, the solution seems completely obvious to me. But obviously, I just must be missing some sort of nuance. Anyways, that's my take on it. It's really hard to watch. As somebody who has experienced the clean, efficient hand of the government, and uh, of course by clean and efficient, I mean the bureaucratic and slow and cumbersome hand of a government entity coming in and screwing up a family. I've experienced that firsthand. And it was the most alien experience of my life. It felt completely alien to me. So I have a bit of empathy for what's going on. And they're so common, the, the, the effort to, to collapse all of these people to one variable. They're illegal aliens. They're immigrants. Boom. Isn't that easy? One variable. Collapse it all. The entire thing. One variable. Illegal aliens. They're human beings. Yeah. It's really something to watch. Ironically, (laughs) there is a small part of me in the back of my head who thinks to myself, you could take everything you've got now and your motorhome and you could drive to Mexico and you could disappear and not fucking deal with any of this for the rest of your life. So they're all coming to the States. In the back of my mind, I sometimes think how great it would be to just pack it up and drive for six days and be across the border. I wonder what they would do to me. I wonder what my situation would be. Hopefully, they would be humane. I hope. But it doesn't really matter where I go. There's going to be a trade war. Well, stocks took a beating today as investors grow increasingly concerned about a global trade war. The Dow was down more than 300 points at the close. But it sure doesn't look like those fears are going anywhere. In fact, the trade spat between the U.S. and China may be about to escalate yet again. The Trump administration is expected to bar many Chinese companies from investing in American technology firms and to block additional U.S. technology exports to China. That's according to media reports by The Wall Street Journal and Bloomberg. An announcement on that file is expected on Friday. But in a tweet this morning, U.S. Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin said the move will not be specific to China. Instead, it will target all countries that are, quote, trying to steal American technology. Meanwhile, Trump's moves to protect American companies may be backfiring. We're already seeing the fallout of the steel tariffs recently introduced by the U.S. A nail manufacturer in Missouri has lost 50 percent of its business since the announcement. Yeah. Yeah, that's why. 50% since the announcement? Give me a break. And it may be forced to close down entirely by Labor Day. Bigger brands are also being hurt. Harley-Davidson Motorcycle says it will shift some production and jobs from the U.S. to factories in Europe. This in response to tariffs imposed by the European Union on American imports. Tariffs on Harleys have jumped from 6 to 31%. Yeah, and it's caused quite a bit of drama, too, the whole Harley thing. 
it's this trade war, everybody. And it's it's about China, but it's also kind of about everybody else, including Canada. There is anxiety on the floor at the Owasco RV Centre. Wait, what? The family-run business outside of Toronto... Wait, what? ...employs about 220 people. Did you say a boot? But some of those jobs are in danger. No, not an RV manufacturer. This just got real. ...because of the trade dispute with the U.S. Son of a bitch, Trump. If we have a big town downturn, I'm in trouble. No, 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 no. I like RVs. That's all there is to it. Uh, my house, my family, everything's on the line. Well, shit, that sounds like every day of my life. God, I know exactly how that feels. Owasco's president sat alongside other business leaders to share concerns with MPs who are studying the impacts the U.S. tariffs on steel and aluminum are having in Canada. Right? What happens with you guys over the next four, six, 12 months? Oh, I make millions. Bank account keeps going down. Oh, we're going to have to lay off more people. Yikes. If we're unable to secure relief from the government of Canada, our business will be forced to close within a few months of July 1st. God, you know what sucks about that? Is that guy looks like he's younger than me. <laughs> you know, have you been there? Anybody in the audience been there when you're watching somebody and they're probably making a lot more than you and they're way younger than you and he's still got gray hair? Yikes. Of Canada. Our business will be forced to close within a few months of July 1st. I don't know how to – I don't really know how to take this. I mean I make fun. I'm poking fun at this guy here. But uh, mostly it's because he has a beard. And then it's also because it seems like they're just asking for money. While some industry leaders are demanding financial aid, others want stronger measures. Like the U.S. just made these changes. How is this already affecting your business and how are you already at this hearing asking for money from the govs? We need to inflict pain on U.S. steel. What? Consumers, unfortunately. Jesus Christ. And that's where the, the pain has to be felt. Ah, oh, baby, Jesus in the manger. And the insurrection has to happen in the U.S. Insurrection? Canada is trying to inflict pain with a series of retaliatory tariffs on American goods kicking in on July 1st. But there is an understanding that traditional pressure points may not work with Donald Trump. You have to stop pretending we're dealing with a rational counterparty. Oh, that makes everything more urgent. You see, if the U.S. is being led by irrational king, then their need is even greater. Uh, you know, these people are caging children at the border. Oh, <laughs> oh, that's us now. That's us. That's our. That's our legacy. We cage children at the border. Dealing with a rational counterparty. Uh, you know, these people are caging children at the border. So fears are now growing. The U.S. president could make a bad situation worse by imposing new tariffs on imported vehicles. A 25 percent tariff on cars and parts would cause what we like to call a Carmageddon. Oh. <sighs> I hate this guy. The industry operates on single digit margins. And it would grind to immediate halt with a 25% increase in price. That sounds like a bad business. Ottawa says it is still finalizing a support plan for Canadian businesses caught in the middle of this trade dispute. But that's little comfort for business leaders who say they need help now. Katie Simpson, CBC News, Ottawa. Oh, thanks, Katie. That support plan Katie just mentioned, it dominated another key meeting in Ottawa today. Weird. Finance Minister Bill Morneau sat down with his provincial and territorial counterparts to discuss how best to weather the storm of uncertainty caused by Donald Trump's trade tariffs and NAFTA negotiations. 
we absolutely are going to stand behind Canadian businesses who are challenged by these tariffs. Weird. I, I thought for sure you'd say something else. We're going to stand behind uh, Canadians. Canadian. Weird. Again, I totally thought you would say something else. Canadians who are employed in the steel industry, but Canadians who are impacted by these tariffs. Uh, we will be uh, talking more about that in the coming days. Meanwhile, Quebec's premier took trade concerns directly to Washington today. He tweeted out this picture with U.S. Commerce Secretary Wilbur Ross. Quebec's finance minister said the talks were frank and conveyed the clear message that U.S. tariffs are unjustified. Uh-huh. Frank. I like that. I like that as a descriptor. Yeah, our conversation was frank. Basically, I told them they're a bunch of sons of bitches. And they listened to me and decided that I was right. They are sons of bitches. I like that. That's what I hear when I hear Frank. Let's talk about North Korea, though. Last time we got together, this, if you can believe it, is how long ago it was. The North Korea summit hadn't happened yet. Donald Trump and Kim Jong-un hadn't shook hands yet. That's how long ago. It's too long. So let's catch up and figure out if there's been any kind of backlash from that meetup. Now to new developments after that historic summit between President Trump and Kim Jong-un. There are still so many questions about that agreement they signed. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo meeting with the South Korean and Japanese foreign ministers to hammer out details, saying at a press conference, quote, we're going to get denuclearization and only then will there be relief from sanctions. Why is the head of the CIA doing this again? Uh... This as President Trump defends Kim Jong-un's history of human rights abuses. So have a lot of other people done some really bad things. I mean, I could go through a lot of nations where a lot of bad things were done. Saudi Arabia. <clears throat> that is his kind of go-to, though, isn't it? People done some really bad things. I mean, I could go through a lot of nations where a lot of bad things were done. Just five months ago, the president called North Korea the most brutally repressive regime on Earth. Oh. Well, I mean, <laughs> that was five months ago. <laughs> Come on. Come on. That was five months ago. Don't, don't, uh, don't, don't. Don't don't hold that against us. There was something actual um, besides the oh yeah we're gonna totally discontinue our nuke program agreement. There was something that I thought was actually a bigger deal that came out of their meeting, and that was Donald Trump's commitment to stop the war games, which are kind of provocative. Hmm. Go Willie, go. How come Willie doesn't have any audio? What's going on with Willie here? Dragon player, I, I hate you right now. Just a short time ago, one of China's top officials weighed in on the nuclear summit and called on the U.N. to suspend sanctions against North Korea. Another reminder, there are many different parties looking for leverage here, and it's not just about nuclear weapons, but also about economic power in the region and around the world. Joining us now with reaction from South Korea, NBC News chief foreign correspondent Richard Engel, live in Seoul. Richard, good morning. I want to ask you about something we've been talking about, which is that it appears South Korea was surprised in many ways by what came out of the summit between President Trump and Kim Jong-un, namely that the war games were going, uh, the, to use the president's term, the military exercises, would be suspended. Did South Korea know that was coming? Uh, well, uh, it appears that uh, they did not, uh, or not everybody knew it. Uh, we reached out for a comment uh, from the South Korean military, and the response we were given is, uh, we're going to have to study these statements uh, by President Trump. We're going to have to drill down into what exactly the intentions and meanings are. Uh, so 
clearly uh, the the military officials that, that we were speaking to did not know this was coming and we were going through official channels uh, which suggests that this this came as a surprise to them that they were blindsided by this and that in itself is shocking uh, these military exercises are not a small uh, matter in this country uh, there are roughly 30,000 US troops here every year they hold uh, several military exercises with the South Korean military. Uh, I have been told by U.S. commanders and South Korean commanders that they are vital, uh, that they are vital so that the two militaries know how to work together. Uh, I was told that they had no intention of canceling them. And then suddenly today, uh, almost as an afterthought, President Trump said, oh, yeah, by the way, uh, we decided to cancel those exercises because, you know, they cost so much money flying in all those uh, bombers from not only is that actually true, but they're extremely provocative. Guam is really going to save a lot of money and then sort of moved on from there. Uh, Richard, this is David Ignatius in Washington. Let's stop there. Let's stop there. I, I want to stop there for just a second, because um, isn't that the biggest thing we could do? Like, it's not a huge concession. It doesn't it doesn't fundamentally undermine our security position. We've been doing those for years. And it's extremely provocative because we're simulating a war on the border the entire time, including the launching of ammunitions and things blowing up. That seems like a really good development, like really good. Like um, this has got to be in the top five things Donald Trump has accomplished. Good. Like really, really good. Like really, like if if I could have if I could have asked for anything, this would be one of them. Peace with Russia and normalizing of relations with Russia would be the other. But this seems like a this seems like a huge development, and it could go nowhere. You know, North Korea has promised to do this kind of shit before, but just simmering down of the war game seems like a massive development. But what do I know? What do I know? I'm just some podcaster, right? I'm not Dennis Rodman. Oh, Dragon Player. That silence is brought to you by Dragon Player. I'm not Dennis Rodman. <laughs> it is bizarre, to say the least. But here I am next to the director of national intelligence, former director for the government. And Dennis Rodman, also known as the worm uh, for how he played basketball, he is our best resource at this point right now for understanding the minds of the two men, especially... Kim Jong-un. Uh, I agree, Chris. Uh, and what? I, I tell as you, weird as that uh, is. As weird what? as this what? is. What? 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 You're James Clapper. You're James Clapper. How can you say that? You're James fucking Clapper. You're the guy that's supposed to know this stuff. That's remarkable. Dennis Rodman. Dennis frickin' Rodman. Now, I I'd normally, if Chase was here, this is when we would do the, uh, the uh, Club 33 sack. But I got to be honest with you guys. Patreon's in bad shape. I don't even know how to talk about this. Um, it's weird because, like, we're doing good totally. Like, we're doing okay. But uh, we've only had four people sign up since the last episode. And we still have, like, well over 80 people who are getting their cards declined. Something, something's shifting, and it's, it's kind of shaking my long-term commitment to the show. 
because I feel like maybe maybe the show's run its course. You know, we're almost to 300 episodes. We're going to be a couple years now into this Trump administration. I think maybe the show's run its course and maybe in 2020 it'd be it'd be time for another show, but I don't I don't think the show will last. And I'm not saying that to try to get patrons. I'm not. I'm just trying to be transparent with you guys. Um I don't know. You know, uh, something is shifting. When, when we don't pick up many patrons, plus people don't seem to be inspired to renew their Patreon subscription when their credit card expires, I take that as a pretty big signal. Because this show is a, is a massive amount of work. Uh, it, it is a full-time job. Just this show is a full-time job. Because um, you, you got my time every single week. You got Producer Matt's. You got Angela's time and you got Chase's. And it's just, it's not a good business decision. So um, there's no mail sack this week. And I don't think there's going to be one next week either. I don't know. I don't know what we're going to do. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to take some time while Chase is in North Korea and I'm going to think about all this because... I guess I just, I don't know. I guess I feel like maybe the show is done. I, I don't know. It feels like things have shifted. Uh, you know, I, I like the like you guys understand what's going on. We've, we've done our job, I guess is what it feels like. I guess that's kind of what it feels like because we've done our job. Like we've explained our position. You understand where we're coming from. There is, this is what, this is what the news is going to be for a while. And, uh, I, I don't know. I, I just feel like we're kind of at a we're kind of at a um, new normal now, and I don't I don't think it's necessarily a good thing. But uh, it doesn't seem like people are as enthusiastic about the show as they once were. Um, and I really I say that super appreciative of our patrons who have stuck in there so far, though. I don't know. I'm just I'm just thinking about things these days, um, trying to just. Trying to take it all into perspective. So there's no mail sack this week. Uh, there won't be one next week either as I kind of process this stuff and as Chase is gone. Uh, I'm also going to be traveling pretty soon. Um, I don't think it will affect next week's episode, but it may affect the week after. I'm not quite sure. And I'll be flying, so I won't have the RV with me, so I won't be able to record the shows. So, um, yeah. That's just something... It's just something I'm thinking about. And it, it might be just time, you know? It might just be time. But uh, if, in the meantime, well, uh, yeah, I'm not even going to plug it, actually. It's just it's just what I do. But, yeah, so we ha- we'll have four new patrons, and I'll thank you guys in the overtime. I don't know. I think this show's always kind of been on an unsustainable path in a way because uh, it's a full-time job just to do this show. And I want to do more of the show, which has never really kind of panned out. And um, it's sort of like the show will never really make, unless it's making like $10,000 a month, the show's really never going to make enough money because it's a full-time job. And there's four people involved with making the show. So, like, (laughs) I don't know. I just think maybe the financials of a show like this will never work out. Um, and that's okay. That's okay. I would do this show for free if I had all the time in the world. If I, if I didn't have anything else to do, I would do the show for free. 
But the reality is, is I do have a lot of other things to do. And um, I, I am feeling like maybe we've done what there is to do. Like we've, we've gone through the early Obama years to now uh, about midway. Well, you know, if we don't stop tomorrow, we'll be midway into the Trump administration. That's a pretty good uh, bisection of U.S. history to document. But there's one topic that has been my favorite as we've gone through all of this, and that is the legalization of cannabis. It's been really something to watch. It's been like one of the few things that it feels like the American voter and now the Canadian voter can actually influence. Uh, And now we've gone from a couple of states having it legal to the FDA approving the first cannabis-based drug. It's for seizures, but it's a first step. Oh yeah, right. Why? Okay. Why? 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 Dragon player. Why? Why you gotta mute all my clips on me, Dragon player? Why? Why you gotta mute all my? Oh, okay. All right. Hold on. I'm gonna see if I can fix this. I'm gonna reset settings here in three, two. Hey, Lily. Hey, it worked. Hey, it worked. Let me restart. Let me restart the clip for you. Marijuana plant. Let me restart the clip for you. For the first time, the FDA has approved a drug derived from the marijuana plant. The unprecedented move is designed to help patients with a rare form of epilepsy. John Shumo has more. Hey, Lily. Say hi. Have a hi. Lily Gilmore started having seizures when she was six months old. Doctors later diagnosed her with Lennox-Gastaut syndrome, a rare form of epilepsy. You know, the first three years, I would say, was devastating. You know, I didn't know anything about seizures. I didn't know what life was going to be like. Lily, who is now 17 years old, was having hundreds of seizures a week. The drugs she was taking weren't helping, so Lily's parents enrolled her in a study at NYU Langone Medical Center. Four years ago, she started taking a drug called Epidiolex, with an active ingredient derived from marijuana. Her awareness and alertness increased and the seizures decreased. I think for us, you know, any little teeny bit of relief we might get with the seizures is huge. Epidiolex is now the first cannabis-based drug to receive approval from the FDA. Its active ingredient is cannabidiol, or CBD, a compound in the marijuana plant. It represents a new chapter, a landmark for therapy in the United States for epilepsy. Dr. Oren Davinsky is a lead investigator in the research. Many of these children and young adults had significant reductions in their most severe and dangerous seizures. Side effects may include tiredness, decreased appetite, and diarrhea. The drug does not cause a marijuana high. For us having, you know, a day or two days a week where she doesn't have seizures or she just has one when she goes to sleep at night is a relatively good day for us. No kidding. No kidding. And uh, so that's really CBDs. We've talked about CBDs for quite a while now. But the fact that it has some FDA approval is huge. That's huge. Although not quite as huge as the news from our friends up north. This could be the home of your new pot dealer. Uh, We'll be providing a guided personal shopping experience. The president of Cannabis New Brunswick says it's the first government-run marijuana store in the world. It is. We're the first jurisdiction in Canada that's ready. In many ways, it started Uh, here. uh, I'm actually not in favor of decriminalizing cannabis. I'm in favor of legalizing it. When newly minted liberal leader Justin Trudeau made his pitch. Five years later, legalization is poised to become a reality, but there are still plenty of questions about what comes next. There will be surprises. It's not going to be perfect. Take drug-impaired driving, a concern other jurisdictions that legalized have had to deal with. Uh, We are seeing 
that more often in fatal crashes, uh, the, the driver, uh, at least one of the drivers, uh, has THC still in their system. Uh, that doesn't mean it caused the crash, but, but it's certainly a statistic that's going to be worth watching. The federal government is trying to address that with a new, tougher law on impaired driving. Then there's pricing and profits. Legalizing pot will undoubtedly be big business for corporations, but in the early days, some governments believe it will cost money to set up a regulated system. I can tell you that uh, for the first couple of years, we're not seeing this as a revenue generator at the government of Alberta. We're seeing it as a net loss. And prices will undoubtedly affect how well the system works overall, particularly when it comes to shutting down the illicit market. I actually, I want to stop here. I think... Uh, that considering this to be a loss leader initially for the first few years is the best approach because there is a massive transition that's happening. And it, and if you're doing it properly, there is a huge investment that you have to make. So if you go at it as it's going to cost us money for the first few years, maybe three, five years, and then it happens within a year or two to be making money, everybody wins. That is part of the government's stated goal. Criminal organizations, street gangs and gun runners are making around $6 billion a year. Yeah, that boy is Trudeau. Right now, through the illicit trade of marijuana. That has to stop. But experts aren't convinced it will stop. And uh, we're very cognizant to realize that the chances of organized crime being eliminated in the cannabis market would be uh, probably naive to think that that could happen. Yeah, eliminated, of course. Reduced, yes. We still don't know just when legalization will kick in. The government will choose the date with input from the provinces. But you can look for legal pot to be a reality in Canada sometime in August or September. Oh, you heard it here. You heard it here. In fact, it may be even sooner, perhaps October 17th, 2018. Canada has become the second country in the world to legalize recreational marijuana. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau announced today that legalization will go into effect October 17th. The Canadian Senate gave the final passage to Trudeau's bill to legalize cannabis, and this was yesterday. Uruguay was the first country to do the same thing back in 2013. Yeah, so there you have it. October 21st, is that what they said there? That's Oh, no, I'm sorry, the 17th. That'll be the actual Canada Cannabis Day. Canada Cannabis Day, October 17th, 2018. But there is some good news back here in the States. If things were to bubble up to Donald Trump, it sounds like he'd sign on the dotted line to legalize marijuana. Hey, switching gears, President Trump says he's likely to support Ending a blanket federal ban on marijuana. All rise. Judge Andrew Napolitano is here. Judge, this is huge. I mean, this is a combination of states' rights, right? I mean, to a degree. Uh, and, and also a major move for an administration that we thought was going to be really tough on, on, on weed. Yes. And in fact, uh, Attorney General Jeff Sessions, of whom we were speaking during the break, uh, has returned the Justice Department to a very proactive, very aggressive prosecution of uh, growers and distributors of marijuana, even in states where it is lawful. So here, here's the backstory. In the Obama administration, President Obama and Attorney General Holder told the attorneys general of states where it is lawful, either for recreation or medicinal purposes, the feds are not going to come in. 
Right. You guys decide what's lawful and handle it on your own. That's a lot of states. That's about half the half the states. When Jeff Sessions became attorney general, he rescinded that. So Donald Trump could do this one of two ways. He could say to the Congress, I don't know if he's going to get a Republican Congress to do this, but he could say to the Congress, remove marijuana from Schedule A. That's the schedule of, uh, of drugs that is prohibited for all purposes to possess under any circumstances, unless you're a licensed laboratory that experiments in them and you have a federal license for it. There's about 29 or 30 of them. If he can't get the Congress to do that, he can say to Jeff Sessions, reinstate the Eric Holder decree. That'll go against everything Jeff Sessions believes right. in, but it will keep the feds from enforcing federal law, even though it will still be on the books and available for some other president and attorney general to enforce. But I think he's saying that this Cory Gardner bill, uh, uh, which is backed by an eclectic mix, right, of Republicans yes. and Democrats. Yes. You've got Bernie, you've got Republicans, you've got Elizabeth Warren. Uh, and I think you, the have, idea, you have libertarian you have Republicans, Mike Lee right. and, and Rand Paul. Right. So you got this eclectic mix in there. And I think what it means is that, I mean, I think people are happy about it. But if you looked on Friday or Thursday, Friday, when the news broke, the marijuana stocks didn't move because you still have the issue of banking. Right. Yes. So if it's still on the books, banks still won't touch it because that, you can't that, transfer that this That is money. a problem. And the president understands that. Can I tell you what community will rejoice if marijuana, and this will surprise you, if marijuana is removed from Schedule A? Law enforcement. Yeah. Law enforcement really has more important things to do. Right. And I'm talking about NYPD, cops in the street in any, any major city, and FBI. That's Not only that, but think about their image. How many people out there hate cops versus how many people hate firefighters? Nobody hates firefighters because firefighters come and save your house. But everybody hates cops because they'll fuck you over something like an adult choosing to put a plant that grows in the ground in their body. It'd be a huge image boost. It'd take a few years. I'll grant you that. But it'd be a huge image boost. For the police in the United States. Now, I'm not done yet. There's still an overtime coming up. In fact, the overtime gets a little dirty. I'll warn you right now. If you've got children watching this show, first of all, what the hell are you doing? But second of all, don't let them listen to the overtime. If you're in the if you're in the work area, you might want to put the headphones in. The overtime's gonna get a little raunchy. So if you gotta head out, if you if you don't got any appetite for that. Although, I'll grant you, it's later on in the overtime. But if you don't got any appetite for that, I'll leave you with a few bits of wisdom. Unfilter.show slash 284 for links to things we talked about. Unfilter.show slash subscribe. I'm at Chris LAS, and this show is live on a Wednesday. Now, as far as everything is planned right now, we'll be back next Wednesday with a live show. And then things could be up in the air again for a bit, because I'll be traveling, and this time it'll be in an airplane. So come back here next week. with you yet yeah yeah there's there's more show more show more
Thank you to our four new patrons since June 6th. Thank you to Nathan, Alan, Kenneth, and Will. You four sons of bitches are the reason I'm here today. Oh, thank you very much. Not a strong turnout. With times have been tough, but I appreciate you. This segment is dedicated to you, all of our patrons, and maybe those of you in the future who are considering it. Patreon.com slash unfilter. Patreon.com slash unfilter. Now. It's been a while since we've had a proper overtime, so I feel like we should get back to the meat and potatoes of the overtime. You know what I'm talking about, right? I'm talking about we kick things off this week with an O-Nancy. Yes! It's been a while. But Nancy and her compadres have done a few things in the last couple of weeks that are worthy of our attention. Let's start out with Nancy Pelosi's five-second brain freeze while she denounces something that should be at the core of her message, at the core of her belief system. I'm sure she just struggles with memory issues, right? Not, not that she's faking the whole thing. It must just be the memory issues thing. That's way better. Yes, ma'am. Would it be better to build a wall at the border that stops people from illegally crossing it than have to arrest them when they do? I'm sorry, what was that? Would it be better to build a wall? No, order? it would not be better to build a wall. A wall is ineffective, expensive, immoral, and... Uh... All right, here we go. So we, you know, the, the wall is a big topic. It gets discussed a lot. She should have a lot of talking points on the wall because it's kind of like the number one campaign promise of Donald Trump. So this really should be no problem. Let's give her full reign. Let's back up a little bit and let's just watch Nancy roar through a this. A wall is ineffective, expensive, immoral... Is that it? Is that it? Is that it? Yes, ma'am. Would it be better to build a wall at the border that stops people from illegally crossing it than have to arrest them when they do? I'm sorry, what was that? Would it be better to build a wall? No, it would not be better to build a wall. A wall is ineffective, expensive, immoral, and uh, uh, where there might be some places where it's Mm -hmm. useful from a security and a... Uh um, What? A what? One one thousand, two one thousand, three one thousand, four one thousand. Mutually five. agreed upon oh. protection for each side to have some structure. Oh, okay. Let's see what that is. Let's just take a look. Let's see what that is. Let's just see what that is, guys. So let's uh, let's see what that is. Now here's Nancy Pelosi uh, doing one of my favorite things, and by favorite I mean the thing that actually gets me the most upset. About five years ago, and really it kicked into high gear three years ago. Nancy realized that they need to appeal to all you dumb religious people. Now, that's not me saying that. That's Nancy. She realized that uh, a lot of you are voting because of Jesus and that if she got right on the side of Jesus by you, you'd start voting for her. That's all it takes. That's all it takes. If she could just convince you simple folk that she's a religious woman uh, with conviction, you're going to start voting Democrats. So Nancy Pelosi, for the last few years, has been trying, trying and trying so hard to read Bible passages and sound religious. The issue is... She seems to get her tongue a little tied every time she tries to read the Bible. But the fact is, the Bible, in the words of Jesus himself, he said, when, when people brought children, little children to Jesus to place his hands on them and pray for them, Jesus said, let the little children come to me 
and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. And then he placed his hands on them. Yeah, she you can tell she's read that a lot in her life. I also, I like the sigh, the deep sigh that she gives right before she starts reading the Bible. The words of Jesus himself. He said... When you hear that? That that little, like, she, like the full inhale, like, oh, God, I got to read this guy. When <laughs> Isn't that amazing? And then she stumbles through what has got to be one of the shortest passages ever. When people brought children, little children to Jesus to place his hands on them and pray for them, Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. And then he placed his hands on them. I go to this prayerful place, Pope, Pope, Pope Francis this morning. I'm sorry, who? Who was it? Was it Pope Francis? Did you, I'm sorry, who was that? Pope Francis? Pope, Pope, Pope Francis this morning said, Pope, Pope, Pope Francis this morning said. Oh, okay. I got it. I got it. Yeah, that, there you go. There's the face of the Democratic Party. Maybe that's why uh, millennials are a little concerned about Democrats. And maybe it's, maybe it's things like, like Maxine Waters urging people to go after Trump admins. What's happening in America? Civility out, shaming and shunning in. On the same weekend, White House Press Secretary Sarah Sanders is asked to leave a restaurant. Democratic Congresswoman Maxine Waters says don't let the public shaming stop with Sanders. Yeah. And if you see anybody from that cabinet in a restaurant, in a department store, at a gasoline station, you get out and you create a crowd. Stay woke. And you push back on them. And you tell them they're not welcome anymore, anywhere. The congresswoman now, pushing more division. More division, yeah. Let's talk Let's talk about that for just a second because uh, I'd like to do a thought experiment. I've thought about this a lot recently, actually, when it comes to uh, Linux tribalism and open operating system tribalism, open source fights, infighting, uh, this bigotry is is the core human flaw. And sometimes it, it manifests itself in a racist way. Sometimes it manifests itself in a religious way. Sometimes it manifests itself in a technical opinion way. It's a, it's a dangerous lizard brain level kind of thing. And it doesn't matter what you – here's a little thought experiment. Let's rewatch Maxine. And every time she talks about a Trump admin, imagine she's saying a black family or a gay family. Let's go with gay. Let's say every time Maxine Waters, she's talking about going after a gay person, a homosexual. Now all of a sudden what she's saying is absolutely reprehensible, isn't it? What's happening in America? Civility out, shaming and shunning in. On the same weekend, White House Press Secretary Sarah Sanders is asked to leave a restaurant. Democratic Congresswoman Maxine Waters says don't let the public shaming stop with Sanders. All right, so let's do it together. I'm going to do it too with you just so we can reframe this because I'm, what I'm trying to demonstrate here is this is the same fundamental flawed human brain issue that leads people to hang witches. So when she talks about Trump admins and Trump officials, think of gay and homosexual people. And if you see anybody from that cabinet... from If you see anyone who's gay... In a restaurant, in a department store, at a gasoline station, you get out and you create a crowd. And you push back on them. And you tell them they're not welcome anymore, anywhere. Jesus, isn't that disturbing? It really is a big deal. Congresswoman pushing more division in a nation already seemingly divided. Shame! 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 
protesters yelling shame at DHS Secretary Kirsten Nielsen at a Mexican restaurant. President Trump name-calling at a political rally. I won't do it. Wacky Jackie. I think somebody said she's in Nevada right now campaigning with Pocahontas. And Hollywood is not helping. Do something about your dad's immigration practices, you feckless I'm going to say one thing. Trump. They said, our dad wants to meet you. And I turned around and it, Paul Ryan was walking towards me. And I said, no way, man. Roseanne's tweets turn racist and a former Trump advisor apologizes after saying this. Michael Hayden posted a picture of Auschwitz. Donnie yeah, that, Deutsch that liberal, is talking. That liberal look, Michael Hayden. Yeah, look, that, that look, screaming liberal your, Michael you're, Hayden. You're out of your cotton-picking mind. Cotton-picking mind? You, Brother, you guys, let me tell you, you guys, something. You guys, let me tell you, are, you something. Guys are, are I got some. I got some, I, got, right. I got some relatives this who is, can this pick cotton. Okay? And this I'm not going to allow you to attack me like that on TV. I'm not out of my cotton-picking You're out of your mind. This is America, 2018. I could go on. But this is all just in the last few weeks. Let's talk about civility. With me now, David Gergen, CNN senior political analyst and former advisor to Presidents Nixon, Ford, Reagan, and Clinton, and Selena Zito, our CNN contributor, is also here. Yeah. David Gergen, you have mm. lived through... Let's not. Let's not do that. I'll just say this. Uh, it, the circumstances are different. Uh, if uh, you know, People are born as African-American. People can be born gay, uh, and you're not born a Trump supporter. But the way we dehumanize them... The way we collapse a complex individual human into a single variable remains the same. That same thought structure and process, that same thought technology in our brain that collapses people down to a single variable, that's the same dangerous mindset that leads to hanging witches. And I, I really would just – I'm not – again, I'm not trying to uh, make an equivalency – between racism and being a Trump supporter. I'm simply saying the same inbaked human brain flaws that we de- that we use to dehumanize people to make an us versus them argument are are in play here. And I would really encourage people to give that more thought. Just sit with that for a little bit. Because it's and as that clip demonstrate, it's just getting worse. It's getting worse, it's getting more vile, and it's on all sides. So there was a great example of politicians and Hollywood, but here's an example of the media. This is mother effing Jim Acosta from CNN, who I think's been a son of a bitch for quite a while now. And this is him at the North Korea Kim Summit justifying shouting questions at Trump like a machine gun, like an animal, a disrespectful disrespectful animal machine gun. It's pretty low audio, so listen carefully because it's a hot mic here. Hey, if they're not going to let me in the fucking meeting, that's right. So he just said there, hey, if they're not going to let me in the fucking meeting, that's what happens. And what that's what happens is what he's referring to is me yelling at them. Yeah, that's right. That's not shot to all day long, man. They don't want me in the meeting. I'm going to shout questions all day long, man. All day long. That's the way it goes, baby. That's the way it goes. See, it's it's shitheads all around. All the way up and down, it's turtles, you guys. And so we are the only ones left that can take a minute and breathe and think about this stuff. And when you get down inside the government, like way down inside the ugly bowels of the government, they're not freaking out about this stuff. 
What's going out inside and outside in the public is completely unaffecting to them. And here's a little insight into the heat of the 2016 election when the big Russia's attacking rumors were starting. The Obama administration said, you know what? Don't freak out. Stand down, guys. Stand down. We don't need to counterattack Russia. Thank you. Um, And one of the things that puzzles me is that while the government – in fact, the next month in in October, uh, DNI – uh, went public with the fact that we knew all about uh, we knew what the Russians were doing, and people need to uh, pay attention to it at least to some degree this is what this is a question I have for you mr daniel and this puzzles me uh, there 's a a quote I want to read you from an article that appeared of what happened in late August uh, of two thousand and sixteen. At his morning staff meeting, Daniel matter-of-factly said to his team, it had to stop working on options to counter the Russian attack. Quote, we've been told to stand down. That's a quote from you. Daniel Prito, one of of, uh, Daniel's top deputies, recalled, quote, I was incredulous and in disbelief. It took me a moment to process. In my head, I was like, did I hear that correctly? End quote. Then Prito asked, quote, why the hell are we standing down? Michael, can you help us understand? Question mark, end quote. I can help you understand. You were ordered to stand down by the White House because this has been a big hyped mess. And so when they start hyping it up and you have the DNC office saying, oh, yeah, it's absolutely Russia. You have all of the individual subcomponents of government. They start spinning up. They start getting all worked up. And then they had, had to get the order. Ah, we were just kind of joshing. We were just kind of kidding. Just stand down, everybody. And so what that guy was about to say, his answer is, yes, that's true. What we did instead is we focused on the states and their local voting systems, which we saw that. We saw the DHS do just that. Paul Manafort's taking things a bit seriously right now. He's desperately trying to appeal the most recent ruling. Breaking news with regard to Paul Manafort heading into court today. Prosecutors wanted to send him to jail. He Uh wanted to stay out. Shimon Prokopes has a breaking news. Not good for Paul Manafort, Shimon. Uh, Absolutely not, Kate, here. We're just now from the court uh, that the judge has revoked Paul Manafort's uh, bail. She is sending him to jail uh, to await his trial, uh, which is supposed to start, expected to start in about a month and a half or so. Uh, Absolutely not good news and nothing that uh, certainly... Paul Manafort wanted in this case, but it's now, uh, you know, a matter of whether when this goes to trial, uh, but he is expected now to spend uh, some time in jail as we await trial. Prosecutors had argued in court uh, just within the last hour that Manafort uh, sort of went on this sustained campaign for over five weeks while he's been out uh, on house arrest using different phones and apps, some of them encrypted, uh, to try and communicate with witnesses to help to sort of get them to mold testimony to his favor. Obviously, the judge uh, clearly of word from uh, my colleague, Evan Perez, who's been in that courtroom, that the judge was extremely unhappy about this, uh, that he would go ahead and do this uh, and try and contact witnesses. Obviously, prosecutors filed new charges uh, against Paul Manafort uh, for obstruction, for trying to tamper with those witnesses. And the judge here today uh, listening to the prosecutor's arguments and sending Paul Manafort back to jail. Ouch. <laughs> Who's Paul Manafort, Donald Trump says. <laughs> uh, all right. I, I got I have another take on this gaming disorder thing. You guys hear about this gaming disorder? It's now officially um, a disorder that uh, I've recently learned that may be uh, uh, impl- uh, impacting, I guess. 
one of the members of my own family. This is Yassine. When we met him, he was in treatment for what he calls gaming addiction. Now he can play the piano. I'd probably play for like about eight, eight to ten hours a day. He fell in so deep, he dropped out of college. He stopped eating and even going outside. I would not do laundry. I'd rather play the game. I would not cook for myself. Um, hygiene, hygiene was very low. This is way common. This is not an uncommon thing. The news is positioning this uh, as a really uncommon thing. I used to work with an individual that was his life. This is not something unusual, and I have an explanation. Got so bad, his parents checked him into Restart, one of the few internet addiction rehab centers in the U.S. <laughs> okay. Two-thirds of American households play video games. And tonight, addiction to video and digital games is now being recognized by the World Health Organization. The media really hates video games. They always blame a shooting on video games, violence on video games, and now, now it's unhealthy for you. Calling it gaming disorder. The WHO says it impacts only a small minority of gamers, but some play for up to 20 hours a day. They design the game in a way to operate very much like a slot machine where you get variable, unpredictable rewards, and that's what makes people compelled to use it over and over again. God, that's such a basic bitch, stupid analysis. God, that's so dumb. Let's listen to it again. To operate very much like a slot machine where you get variable, unpredictable rewards. And that's what makes people compelled that's to use it, it over and over again. That's what it is. You know what else is rewarding? Getting your dick sucked. That's rewarding, too. It just depends on which one you're more likely to get, you moron. Here's really what it comes down to. There are very few avenues in society for broke-ass, white, and other middle-class individuals to get any kind of satisfaction and gratification. Simple. I'm, you, could, you can distill it all the way down if that's work, if that's recognition in society, if that's finding something fulfilling to do creatively. Eh, nope, just boil it down to where society is today. There's really very little things you can do that are genuinely fulfilling and genuinely make you happy. Full stop. That's the problem. That is 100% the problem. And video games offer gratification. Video games offer you a path to success. Video games offer you accomplishment. Video games give you a way that is accessible, that doesn't cost you a goddamn arm and a leg to do it, to have successes and wins in your life. That's what video games give you. And until society can be restructured so that everybody has some sort of fulfilling thing to do, this is going to be a problem. That's why people loved drugs. This is why people love to binge Netflix. It's the same fucking thing. The way to operate very much like a slot machine where you get variable, unpredictable rewards and that's what makes people compelled to use it over and over again. You could say the same exact thing about watching House of Cards on Netflix. You get variable, unpredictable moments of emotional entertainment, downs, ups, highs, lows. You get wrapped up in the story. You become invested in the characters. It's addicting. It's called Netflix, and it's something that's being recognized by the World Health Organization now. Netflix addiction. It's the same thing. 
But the media focuses on this one because games are one of their biggest competitions. ...to operate very much like a slot machine where you get variable, unpredictable rewards... And that's what makes people compelled to use it over and over again. You see, you get that kind of analysis when you have well-paid individuals who are completely detached from the people that are suffering in some way. And so you have to then do some sort of study to try to understand them. And you walk away with some basic bitch understanding. Whereas if you actually had to live their life, you would completely understand. The WHO has not yet formally adopted the draft that includes gaming disorder. The gaming industry telling NBC News there is no objective evidence to define and diagnose this disorder. And the research supporting inclusion is highly contested and inconclusive. Meanwhile, Yassine is stepping away, hoping to take control of his life again. Joe Kent, NBC News, Fall City, Washington. This is really um, going to be an ongoing issue with video games simply because they offer an um, instant kind of gratification. And I once had a conversation with a buddy. He said, you know what? I've got two kids now. I've got no money because I'm paying health insurance. I'm paying for these kids. I'm paying for rent in Washington State. I'm broke. So what I, I used to go out and spend 100 bucks on booze with my buddies and we'd have a great time. Now what we do is we all jump on Mumble and we play video games. And I might spend $15 that night on food instead of $150. And are they addicts? They're just looking for a new form of escape that works in the current economy. That's what it is. That's what video games are all about, is they give you a way to really enjoy yourself, have some kind of deep, well, in some cases, deep gaming experience, in some cases, like Flappy Bird, not so deep, that are distracting, just like a movie, just like television, just like podcasts. It's great. And the thing is, the, the, the irony is, the media going after video games, you could substitute every criticism they're making about video games for the media, for news, for TV, for sitcoms, for horror movies. Like The arguments are exactly translatable, and they don't see it, because they're just trying to shit on video games. So recreational marijuana will be legal in Canada in less than four months. And that has many licensed producers not just scrambling to ramp up production, but to hire a lot more staff. Thousands of jobs will be up for grabs, but because the industry is so new, finding people to fill those positions could be a challenge. CBC business reporter Jacqueline Hansen looks at how companies are attracting top talent. That's right. This is one of Canada. It's empty now, but soon this room will be packed with marijuana plants. I'm moving to Canada. I can see all of the work uh, that's gone into this around me. It's exciting to get up and running and be so close to a license to start cultivating. Andrew Milne is in charge of the complex systems that will keep this 30,000 square foot cannabis production plant running smoothly. Milne used to work in Colorado, not in the pot business, though. He worked at a company that produced consumer electronics. When he got a call from an old friend asking him to move home to work at a cannabis startup... I hesitated, to be honest with you. You know, it's a new field, and uh, I had to think a little bit about... Actually, mostly about leaving a steady job that I liked for a startup. Very cool. But that yeah, but what changed, what changed your mind? I mean, what was the big thing you realized that really changed your mind? And hesitation didn't last long. Two weeks later, I had all my possessions in a car and I was driving across Nebraska. One of the founders of Cantex recruited Milne. We enticed him back to Canada, even though he was looking for uh, opportunities in Silicon Valley. 
And there's a lot more hiring to do. Cantex has 16 employees at the production facility with plans to double that. We get inundated with a lot of folks looking for employment in the cannabis industry these days. It's a, a pretty sexy topic. Canadian cannabis beer. companies are on a hiring spree, and larger companies need even more workers. Canopy Growth wants to triple its workforce in the next two years, from 1,000 to 3,000. Right now, it has 600 jobs to fill, from grower, plant trimmer and cultivation supervisor to beverage chemist and mobile app developer. We actively reach out to candidates through different sources and tap people on the shoulder and see if there would be an interest in this sector. Alison McMahon recruits new employees for cannabis companies. She says the toughest people to find are cultivation experts. There's only a, a small pool of people who have worked in a cultivation role, whether that's a cultivation technician or a master cultivator, within the ACMPR, within the medical regulations and the system. A master grower makes as much as $93,000 a year, according to a survey by McMahon's company. That's already up 14% from last year, as the stigma around pot fades and more people want in. I, I think what's really intriguing is how a lot of people, even in Alberta, are looking at cannabis as potentially a more stable um, opportunity and a place to take their career long term, even compared to something like a more traditional oil and gas sector. In Ontario, Milne has found the startup experience he went searching for in the U.S. It's a reverse brain drain here. You think of talent, especially technical people, generally going down to the States to pursue opportunities, but you know, the Canadian cannabis industry is so much more developed than the industry down in the States. Now part of... Jesus, that's embarrassing. The state should be making that claim. We've got so many states down here that have legalized. And Colorado and Washington have had legal for years now. And here's Canada lapping us. It's embarrassing. An industry that likely won't grow this much, this fast, again. Jacqueline Hansen, CBC News, Guelph. Guelph. You might be surprised at who some of the new cannabis workers are. These seniors are spending their golden years making Bud look beautiful. The group took jobs at the second largest producer of medical cannabis in Alberta. To their co-workers, they've become known as the Old Lady Clippers. <laughs> the Old Lady Clippers. Oh, man. Canada, could, could you just stop it for a little bit? Let us catch up. Remember Vault 7? I barely do. Actually, that's not true. I've been following Vault 7 News since it came out. But I have finally a new clip for you around Vault 7. And that CIA engineer that they kind of pinned the whole thing on and even kind of like looped in some child porn, now he's saying not guilty. A former CIA employee pleaded not guilty to charges he was behind a leak about the agency. Joshua Schulte is accused of stealing classified information in 2016 and then sharing it with WikiLeaks. The so-called Vault 7 leak revealed the CIA's ability to hack Apple and Android phones. Schulte was initially arrested and held on child pornography charges. A new indictment accuses him of violating the Espionage Act. You know how often child pornography charges come up? When I'm doing research for this show, it's it's enough to make you really kind of buy into some conspiracy bacon. It's I'm not saying like I've got full fledged bacon here, but I got to say a lot, a lot of these um, whistleblowers or leakers end up having child porn on their computers. Now, 
I've never sought out child porn, but I've been on the internet since literally there was an internet, since there was a World Wide Web and the Mosaic browser. I've browsed the internet. That could possibly make me a topic expert. I'm not sure. And um, I've never seen child porn. Not once. I've, I've never accidentally come across child porn. I've never, I've never seen like a, a cache of child porn. But yet all of these, um, all of these whistleblowers, big kitty porn fans, apparently. Like, I'm just, I, if, if it wasn't for like this, the sheer coincidence of it, I just would, I would just sort of dismiss it. But now it's like literally every single case. It's really, it's really remarkable. And a lot, a lot of them never make it into the news. Most of it is like local reports because uh, it's kind of a hush-hush thing you don't talk about. It's the strangest thing. Uh, it's one of the weirdest things that I see following the show, and it's extremely disturbing. It really grosses me out, and I really just don't want to have to think about it anymore. So instead, let's talk about Microsoft employees having a shit. And more than 100 Microsoft employees are protesting the company's relationship with Immigration and Customs Enforcement, or ICE. That's according to the New York Times. The Times reports an open letter was posted on Microsoft's internal message board today. They are asking the company to stop working with ICE, which has a $19.4 million contract with Microsoft. In the letter obtained by the Times, the employees say, quote, we believe that Microsoft must take an ethical stand and put children and families above profits. Age shelters in South Texas. There are four such shelters, one of them planned for Houston. Houston's mayor is protesting plans to house up to 240 children in a warehouse previously used for people displaced by Hurricane Harvey. Yeah, isn't that interesting? Are those FEMA centers? <laughs> All those conspiracies about the FEMA centers turned out to be they're kind of right. Although I thought they were going to detain American citizens. Turns out uh, something else they had in mind. Now, there was also a very strange story that uh, we got to we have to cover later on. I'm going to do a whole episode about it, but just sort of tangentially related to it is the whole tracking of people's cell phone locations and uh, scooping up the metadata like that. that that's sort of like a tangent story. So I'm going to play this clip. Because uh, I, this didn't really fit in this mysterious arrangement that I'm making for you later. The Supreme Court ruled today that cell phone location data is protected by the Fourth Amendment. That means police departments need to get a search warrant in order to track a user's movement. When used for calls or texts, a cell phone signal signals a nearby antenna tower to connect with the telephone network. By mapping which towers were used by a given phone number, police can reconstruct a person's whereabouts over days weeks or months. That actually seems like a huge deal. That's a nice, solid, actual improvement in our privacy. So I wanted to get that clip in here. Now, here's a weird one from Cucker. Uh, you'll have to um, kind of bear with his guest. He has a speaking impediment, but it's I'm, I may only play just a moment of it because actually what Cucker covers is almost the most relevant bit here. But you remember when Trump first came into office, like early Trump days, he was making all of these promises about releasing the JFK assassination files. You remember that? And then it got delayed. And then it got delayed. And then we stopped hearing about it. it turns out, it just got delayed again. And now the reason they cited is national security. What the fuck? 
Well, believe it or not, the full release of all files related to the JFK assassination has been delayed yet again, this time until 2021. The president delayed the release in the name of national security, but it raises the question, what possible national security interest could be served at this point in protecting information about an assassination that occurred 55 years ago? Robert F. Kennedy Jr. is the author of American Values. He is, of course, the nephew of the slain president. He joins us tonight. It's such an odd... So this is JFK's nephew. And uh, just listen, hear him out for like his first bit here. I've never done a segment on, on the assassination before, but I'm so struck by how weird this story is. The president has said point blank a couple of times, I'm going to release all these files. He was convinced for some reason not to release them. What do you imagine that reason really was? Uh, well, I share your mystification, but... The, you know, when they, the stuff that's dribbling out, um, it is information that tends to connect the CIA to, um, to the assassination in one way or the other. I mean, the last one that they let out, what was it, in November, they let, um, they let a batch out, and that showed that Charles Cabell, who was the mayor of Dallas at the time my uncle was assassinated, was actually a CIA operative and had been oh. a CIA operative since 1956. Whoa. Wait, what? Wait, what? The mayor of Dallas was a CIA operative since 1956? Well, maybe if you had a guy who was on your team in the mayor's office maybe that's maybe that's the city you murder the president in holy shit i'm gonna play that back a little bit because i know he's hard to understand and that showed that charles cabell who was the mayor of dallas at the time my uncle was assassinated was actually a cia operative and had been a cia operative since 1956 and then there was also some information about the automobile that showed that the window had been replaced. Um, I get any information that 50 years later, people should know about, people should have access to that kind of information. And it's kind of, it's bizarre that they still continue to sit on it. Do you believe that the CIA or another government agency was in any way involved in there you go. I, yeah, of course he does. Um, that, though, is – that's something. That is something. That is really something. Isn't that fascinating? We have, a, we have an entire episode on JFK. It's one of our early ones. If you go back in the uh, unfiltered back catalog, I want to check that out. Now, the media is limping these days. Trump has been nailing them as he has from day one, and they're really butthurt about it. And this is a panel discussion about – how mean Trump is, I guess. It's really a super self-serving kind of meta discussion. Fall on the political spectrum. Um, and I think that's, as David said, what you're seeing in the coverage is a lot of scrutiny of what actually happened. Um, and he would rather just uh, attack the media for daring to do our jobs, which yeah. is to kind of evaluate what he's doing. But let's, I mean, it's so unoriginal, too. I mean, there's no president or political figure who likes the media. And so he's trying to outdo Nixon. It's one thing not to like the media. We've all worked at, you know, yeah. for, uh, in this news business for a long time. Everybody's always criticizing yeah. us and not happy with our coverage, whether it was President Clinton or, or President Bush or President... They're all criticized. But it's another thing to say that, you know, it's not North Korea, it's not right. Iran, it's not, not Russia, Russia, it's not China. China, 
It's journalists well, say, like us right. who, who are the enemy of the American well, people. It's one of the things that bothers me most about You know, it's not really that. So they're, they're, they're not nuancing this out. It's, it's that you are establishment corporatists is what the issue is. And that your owners are huge, ginormous, multinational corporations that in some cases hold more power than entire nations do themselves. And you represent their views and their interests, and you can't help it. It's just the human condition. It's a groupthink problem. When you're in a large group of people, you sync up. And it's, uh, I'm sure, very useful for survival, especially back in the day. But now it comes across as this groupthink, establishment-first mindset that sort of leaks through everything you say. Through everything you frame, through every story you tell, it sort of leaks out. You're a pro-establishment bias. And that is what is really damaging. As the fourth estate, as the people's eye and voice, that's what's so damaging, is you're not the people's eye and voice. You're not the check of the government. You're the pawn of the corporation. And that's, that's the issue. But I understand it's hard to break all that down in 30 seconds. Oh, I just did it in 30 seconds. Hmm. Journalists say, like us, right. who, who are the enemy of the American what, people. One of the things that bothers me most about the president is I don't even take what he's saying seriously. It's that he's so casual about throwing out language. And that you really undermine the presidency when you do that. Because there will be a time after Donald Trump, believe it or not. And he is doing damage to this notion of do we believe what the president says. But we live in an environment where social media principally allows so much hyperbole. That now the president engages in it and it becomes kind of the bloodstream of our public discourse where you could say something that over the top say the kings of hyperbole and that it would be the president of the united states who says it and then <laughs> and i don't take it seriously which, i don't take you seriously which is a problem too because he's not really being serious when he says it it's but a, a shame but a lot of people do take it seriously yeah, and, it's problem. Ha- and it's yeah, having an impact a lot of his supporters believe that we are the enemy of the yeah, american people sure and that no, is no. really really an awful situation no, uh, we no, are no, not no, no, the no, enemy no, no, of the no, american no. people we love the american people Our oh 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 do you situation uh, we are not the enemy of We're the american not. people we love the american people oh well then okay i guess i was wrong about everything i just said i apologize to that wolf you know uh it's funny he talks about lowering the discourse and setting the political tone This is now the left's biggest argument for Trump, his Twitter feed, and his general way of discourse. He's lowering the bar. He is setting the tone. Maxine Waters is completely justified in what she is doing because Donald Trump has set the bar so low. That is the media's general argument, which is the general argument of the left, which I got to tell you. Reminds me very, very, very much of the rights argument during the Monica Lewinsky scandal. When Bill got his dick sucked by Monica Lewinsky in the Oval Office, the argument that the Republicans made was that that now set the bar for discourse. That now high school students were sucking dick that had never sucked dick in their lives, would never have considered it. But now that the president made it okay to suck dick... High school students are sucking dick. And that the president of the United States sets the bar for morality. And that Bill Clinton had lowered the bar for morality. But, you know, that was just what that clip reminded me of. But it was actually your good buddy, Joy Behar, 
who sort of sealed the deal this week. I want to say is that I remember when the Lewinsky scandal occurred because we were working here. And when we heard what, what had gone down in the, pardon the expression, yeah. in the Oval Office. <laughs> Hello, everybody. What happened there? It was the most shocking thing we had ever heard. I mean, we yes. had never heard anything like this about a president in the White House, in the Oval Office, in the United States. And I believe that that set the bar very low so that when we hear that Trump is grabbing women and he's doing this and he's got having porn affairs with stars porn stars and what have you, everyone's like, oh, yeah, well, we heard this before. You know, it's not that new. So Clinton bears a tremendous responsibility for a lot of what we were talking in the first segment, in my opinion. Saying that, I still voted for him. <laughs> I still voted for him, though. <laughs> Although if you heard Trump say grab him by the pee, and you still voted for him, you're a bastard. That's how it works. See you back here next week. Have a good one, everybody.